Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Well, you guys ready for a little word today? Some worship. The presence of God is so good. <laughs> So I gotta I I guess I have to repent. I lied last week. I know we're all liars. You know guys know where liars go? City Reach Cumberland. If you're a liar, you're welcome here. I know somebody that can fix that. Uh, but anyway, I told a fib. I said last week that this would be last week would be the last week in our sermon series. And I truly thought that. And then Monday, so normally uh, I'll, I'll prepare throughout the week for, for Sunday's message. And usually Monday and Tuesday I'll just spend praying and reading to try to get direction for what God would, would ha- wants to say to us. And, and so Monday, um, I just heard him say, treasure's in heaven. And I thought, eh, you know, okay, maybe that's me. And then I just kind of started reading and uh, I kept running into it. So uh, I'm not going to fight the Lord. So. Today's message is Treasures in Heaven. And we're going to pick up on, still we've been teaching on a series called Rock Solid. And for if you haven't been here, if you're joining online for the first time, Rock Solid is taken from the end of Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount, about the two gentlemen that built a house, one on the rock, one on the sand. And the one that built on the rock was able to withstand the storm. So we've been looking at different teachings throughout the Sermon on the Mount that have to deal with how do you build a strong foundation? What are some things in my life that I need to have in place that I can draw from what Jesus taught that will help me to have a strong foundation in life? And I would probably not be doing this series justice if we didn't touch on this subject of treasures in heaven. So a lot of times when people talk about money, I know somebody in here, if not half the people in here, everybody's starting to get a little squeamish. A little like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Well, Jesus actually taught on money more than he taught on just about any other subject. So it's, it's something we should not avoid. It's something we need to talk about, but we need to teach it from uh, a king. Time today, looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. So just five verses uh, that we're going to take a peek at in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And then we're going to end with Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. So if you want to mark those two places, Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24, and then at the very end, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Now, that's going to be a parable in itself, and really it should be an entire teaching, but I just want to really, when we get to that, kind of run through that. So here's what I want to do today. I want you to ask, now first of all, let me tell you this. Whenever I teach on something... It's never for the purpose of condemnation, all right? So I don't want you to ever think that Fred's ever teaching to condemn me, to make me feel poorly about something. But I want you to look at it this way. When Jesus taught, Jesus never condemned. But think of this, not condemnation, but an invitation, all right? So you're being invited today to step into something greater. That that Jesus is not teaching on this so that you can feel poorly, but so that you can make some adjustments in your life. Because 
here's what I've learned over the years. If, if what I believe from the Bible doesn't change my behavior, then it's just philosophy. Right? A lot of people have a lot of good philosophies. But when I learn from Scripture, when I learn from Scripture, that should have a, an effect on the way I act. It should have an effect on the way I talk and what I do. So, so that, that's really the purpose of teaching is that we can learn, that we can grow, that we can make some modifications, not so we can feel bad and go boo-hoo in the corner, but hey, that God has more for us. God has better for us. And um, hopefully today you'll leave with a little bit better thoughts. So, okay, three questions. I all start with uh, S. Actually, had an S left. So, three questions I want you to ask yourself, not for the purpose of feeling bad or anything. So, number one is going to be, where is my storehouse? Where is my storehouse? On earth or in heaven? Number two is, how is my sight? Is it good or bad? Where is my storehouse? On earth or in heaven? How is my sight? Is it good or bad? And we'll talk about that means. And whom am I serving? God or mammon? And so that's not one we talk about a lot, but I want to I hit on that a little bit today. So where is my storehouse? How is my sight? And whom am I serving? All right, let's go ahead and read this passage, and we're just going to work through a few things, hopefully make a few points. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 say, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where neither thieves do break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. And if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Father, I ask today that your Holy Spirit would teach us in Jesus' name, and we stand against every attempt of the enemy to steal his seed. Amen. All right, first point. Next slide. Where is your storehouse? So in the first two verses, Jesus, what you're going to notice, so these questions are not open-ended questions. So I'm not saying, hey, where is your storehouse? And you have to figure out the answer. In sales, okay, who wants a little insider information in the car business? Don does. Okay. All right, so I'm going to give away a little bit of my negotiating skills, Okay. If I, if, if I, the best question to ask is called an either or question, right? So, Kara, is that Kara sitting there? Oh my glasses. Okay, Kara, I'm going to help you. You're going to sell more cars if you do this. So, you don't ask, what color do you want? If I've got three options, I might say, hey, did you want blue or white? Did you want this or that? So, when I ask a question, an either or question, and supply the answers, Guess what they have to pick? One of those two options, right? Now, you can always get the oddball, and I feel, not, not that Don's an oddball, but Don would be the guy like, well, I don't want that one. And he, you know, but, but typically, an either-or question is really good. So you ask a question, you supply the answer, and somebody really has to pick one of those two answers. What you're going to notice, all these are going to be either-or questions. We have two options in each one. It's not multiple choice. It's not open-ended. It's not... 
you know, whatever you think, Jesus actually is going to ask the question and supply the answer. So he says, he, in the first thing here, when he's talking about store up, it says, do not lay up. Now, what we have here is lay up. We're not, if you're a basketball player, it's not a, it's not a layup, right? And I'm not. I'm the, I'm the kind of guy that if I'm dribbling like this, I'm going down the court, the ball's still back there doing this. Like, I stay off the court, not my place. But at least I, I feel like I could do a layup. But this is not a layup. The word actually means to store up or to treasure up. He says, do not lay up, store up treasures on earth. And, and, and the word to treasure up or to store up really means to take something that's precious, something that's valuable, and to put it in some sort of container, a casket, or, or a storehouse. So I'm taking something precious, something that has value to me, and I'm putting it in something to keep it safe. And he's saying, I don't want you to store up treasures on earth, because on earth, moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But I want you instead to store up treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and neither do thieves break in and steal. So Jesus is drawing a, a picture between two realms here. And he's done other teaching on heaven and earth, if you think of the Lord's Prayer, which was just before this, part of the Lord's Prayer says, on earth as it is in heaven. And from that, you know, we learn that heaven is our model, that we look to heaven and see what's true in heaven, and then it's our job to make sure that, that that's what's happening on earth. And so now he says, he draws this thing between laying up treasure on earth and laying up treasure on heaven. So on the surface, some distinctions between heaven and earth, obviously earth is visible, Heaven is what? Anybody see heaven? No. It's invisible. Right? Earth is temporary. Did you know that? Guess what uh, 2 Peter says? What's going to happen to even the, the very elements of the earth? It says that they're going to burn up and dissolve with a fervent heat. So no matter what you see that you think looks real is going to be here, it's not. And so the earth is temporary Heaven is what? So we're looking at an eternal realm. We're looking at a physical realm versus a spiritual realm. And the distinction Jesus is making here, he says, hey, earth is subject to decay and destruction. Earth is subject to being insecure. That it has the option that somebody can take what you value. That, that, that moths and rust can destroy what you have. But in heaven, it's very secure. It's impenetrable. Penetrable, I guess would be the word. Impenetrable. Penetrate, penetrable. Something like that. Somebody can check me on my English. So think for a minute here. Let, you know, I, I just really started meditating on moths and rust. What, what do moths destroy? When we think of a moth destroying something, what do we think of? Clothes, material, right? Now, do you, if you have a shirt that you wear all the time, does the moth really eat that shirt? The moth typically is going to eat something that's been put where? Put away, put in storage, taken out of use. Does rust build up? Here's a car example. If I drive my car every day and apply the brakes every day, guess what's not going to build up on the rotor? Rust, because it's in... Use. But if I park my car out on the street and let it sit there for six months and don't drive it, 
guess what's going to appear? Rust, because metal, when it reacts with oxygen in the presence of water or moisture, rust is the result. So here's what happens is, when I take the things that God's entrusted to me, and I hold on to them and put them in storage, guess what happens? They're subject to destruction and decay. See, you've heard a lot of times people say, if, if, you, if you hold on to something, guess what's going to happen? Probably going to lose it. And that's what happens when God entrusts things to us and we try to hold on to them. See, here's what happens. A lie of the enemy is that your significance is determined by what you have. That's a lie. And so people think as they accumulate things, wow, these things define me, therefore i got to hold on to them. But in the earthly realm, it ain't going to last. And Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to lay things up here because here you're open to destruction, here you're open to theft, and here it's not going to last. But he says, I want you to get them into the heavenly realm. So how do we do that? If I pull out, let's just see, $10 bill. What did you say? Righteous bucks. If I could pull out, yeah, 10. Could I go down to Sheets and spend this? Absolutely. Can I spend this in heaven? No. Because <laughs> there's no money in heaven. See, God doesn't need money. There's no money in heaven. So if God says, I want you to store up not here, but there, how do I get this there? See, if, if you go, let, think of that this. There are two different realms, right? If, if I leave here and get in an airplane and go to London, England, guess what doesn't work in London, England? The U.S. dollar. Why? Because their form of currency is the Great British Pound or the pound. So when I get to London, I've got to exchange what I have in U.S. dollars, and they in return give me what will work there. Because what I have here doesn't work there. Funny story was, I took my kids to London a few years ago with my wife, and, and if anybody has girls, you know what girls always have to do when they get off an airplane or get off a train? Got to use the bathroom. Well, when we went from London to Paris, there's this thing called the Channel. And basically it's an underground railway, like a high-speed railway, right? I didn't think about when I'm leaving London and I have pounds in my pocket and when we come up on the other side in France that I need euros. I didn't think about that. And so when we go under the English Channel, we come up in, in France, we go to the, the train station, the girls are like, I gotta go to the bathroom, I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm like, well, it's right there, just go. Well, guess what you gotta have to go to the bathroom in France? You gotta have a euro. And guess what we didn't have? We didn't have any euros. So here I am running around, hey, will you give me some euros for some, you know? And I finally, you know, I'm able to like trade off with somebody and, and fortunately they were able to, to not have to be embarrassed in public, but they, they get in there. But, but the, the currency of one country doesn't work in another country. So there has to be some sort of exchange so that what I have here has to be traded or exchange for what can be there. 
So let's, so when we're thinking about treasure, so next, next verse, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, so there's two treasures, right? We have what we have here, and then there's what? What we have there. He says, where your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also. So some people say, well, where your heart is is where your treasure will be. That's not what this verse says. This verse says, where your treasure is, there you're going to find your heart. So think of it like this. I remember one time a few years ago uh, when day trading was a, I don't know if it's still a thing or not, but I got sucked in. And so I got a little TD Ameritrade account and, and, and I made a mistake and gave my wife control of the day trading account. And so every day she's, ooh, 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 let's buy. Ooh, let's sell. Now, I didn't make any money, but guess what I was paying attention to every day? I was so sucked in to what was happening at TD Ameritrade, I pretty much was forgetting everything else. Because where my treasure was, there my heart. And that's not talking about your heart in here. It's talking about your affection or your desires, or the things that you're passionate about. So where you place your treasure is where your passion, where your desires are going to be. And Jesus says, I want your treasures there, and there I want your passion there, I want your desire there. So what does that look like? I want you to look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, because here's a, there's only two times there's a one-verse parable. This is one of the two. Here's a one-verse parable on treasure. And it gives you an idea of what treasure in the kingdom is. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. If you've heard this taught incorrectly, I, want to, I just want to correct it. I've heard people before say that the, the treasure is God. The treasure is your salvation. And that if you give up everything for God, you can find God or you can get salvation. That's not true. Let me tell you why. When a man found it, if it was God, let me tell you this, God found you, you didn't find God. Matter of fact, you couldn't find God if you had a map. Although we do have a map, it's called the Bible, so I probably shouldn't say that. But you know what I'm saying, he found you. And it said, then he went and hid it. Let me tell you this, you couldn't hide God. He's too big. Where would you put him? And I could, even more than that, you couldn't buy God. Because you don't have enough money. So what this is talking about, the field is the world. And we know that from another, another parable, it says the field is the world. And so, read this with me. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hid where? In the world. And when a man, who came to earth as a man? Jesus did. And when a man found it, found the treasure, he hid it again. And then joy went and sold all he had. And what did he buy? The field. God sent Jesus as a man to purchase the entire field of the world because you're the treasure. You are the treasure. You can't buy the treasure. See, I get so sick and tired of people saying, this is about you giving up everything to get God. No. God gave up everything to buy you. He loves you. 
He wants you, and he wanted you so much, he gave up Jesus, all that he had, the glory of heaven, in order to redeem you back. And see, anytime you think you're worth nothing, you're worth the blood of Jesus, because that's what he paid for you. So when you think of it like this, treasure on earth is material possessions. It's just stuff. Treasure in heaven is people. People are the only thing that's going to live forever. See, whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell, which is never God's intention, you'll live forever somewhere. And so what God says is, I want you to exchange what you have today. Instead of laying it up here, I want an exchange made to where you invest this into seeing people's lives get changed, transformed, saved, healed, delivered, and they're invested there. And that treasure never ends. That treasure cannot be moth-eaten, rust-ridden, thieved, stolen, broken, nothing. It's secure in heaven. Now that's a much better deal than putting $10 in the bank, I'll tell you that. It's not wrong to have money. Don't ever think that. Because even God in the Bible tells us, hey, a good man lays up an inheritance for his children's children. And he says the ant goes in in the summer and he lays up for the winter. So there's nothing wrong with planning, but it's always about the heart. Does it have you? Does it control you? Does the money control you? Does the stuff control you? Is that what's driving you? Or is treasure in heaven driving you? Are you passionate about people? Where is your desire? That's what he's saying. I want you to have a desire that's focused on seeing people in heaven. Seeing lives change for eternity. And that's what, we, that's what we do here. That's what we love to do here. It never gets old. It never gets old seeing somebody get forgiven a sin. It never gets old seeing somebody being delivered from demonic bondage. Ever. He says, I want you to lay up treasure in heaven. Alright, next slide. Heaven and earth are two completely different realms and two completely different currencies. We just talked about that. Currency on earth, material. Currency of heaven, people. In order to get this there, there's got to be an exchange. All right, how's your site? So, where's your storehouse? Are you storing on earth? Are you storing in heaven? How's your site? Is it good or bad? He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you in darkness, how great is that darkness? What are our two options for eyesight here? Good or bad? It says if your eye or your sight or your vision is good, you'll be full of what? Light. And if your vision or your sight is bad, you'll be full of darkness. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? So we just talked about salt and light last week. Anybody here last week? Okay, so salt enhances the flavor of things, right? We talked about that. Light enhances what? It enhances someone's ability to see. So light gives you additional or enhanced ability to see. You can see better when the lights are on. So what does this mean? Does this mean, hey, share if somebody has a bad eye? And you, you, you don't know if they're looking at you with their left eye or their right eye. You've done that. And you're like, let's see, do I look this way? Do I look that way? 
I don't want to embarrass them. I don't know. So, hey, look at me with your good eye. <laughs> right? That's what you want to say? That's not what he's talking about here. If you look up, so if you look, look us up in the, in the King James or even in the Greek, the word good, here, here's where, what it means. The good, word good means single. Now I can understand it. Look at the King James Version. Without going into the Greek, it says, The light of the body is the eye, if therefore your eye be what? Single, the whole body is full of light. So we talked about storing up treasure in heaven, on earth or in heaven. And now he says, if you want to be full of light, now it's not talking about salvation here, but light allows me to see. If I want to be able to see what God has for me, if I want direction in my finances, if I want to know what God wants me to do with what he's given me, what type of eye do I need to have? A single eye. Now, it doesn't mean you're going around like a bunch of cyclopses, right? We're not like an eye in the middle of your head. It just means that you need to have one eye. You need to have single focus. You need to be laser focused on one thing. What do you think that is? Heaven or earth? He says, I want you to have a single focus on the kingdom of heaven. I want you to be single focused on putting treasure in heaven. Because what happens when I have, a, if, if, a, if, a, if a good eye is single, then by implication a bad eye would be what? Du- double or, or triple or whatever, right? So if a good eye is a single eye, then a bad eye has to be two or more. So here's what's happened. So a lot of us do this. We have, we got an eye to the world, right? And then we got an eye to heaven. If I, hold my, if I hold my hand up like this, can everybody focus on my hand for a minute? Right? You can look right at that. But if I do this, I want you to focus on both hands at the same time. Can you do it? No. Not singly. So what he's saying is like, when your vision is divided, this is talking about the eyes of your heart. When your, your eyes of your heart are divided... All of a sudden, darkness is the result. You don't know what to do. Confusion. I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? But when your eye is single, all of a sudden, it becomes clear. It becomes really clear. What does James, James chapter 1, verse 8, I think I put it up here in the Passion Translation. You'll recognize this. Uh, normally it says, a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways. Double vision leads to a divided heart. I want you to remember that. Double vision leads to a divided heart. The Passion Translation says it this way. When you are half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable. See, when I got my heart divided, when I got my vision divided between two things, I can't really do anything well. And God says, I want you to be single-focused. I want you to be laser-focused. I want you to have an eye to the kingdom. And it will become clear what I want you to do. All right, last thing. So, where's your storehouse? On earth or in heaven? How's your eyesight? Good or bad? Single or double? 
Single, double. If it's double, it's okay. You know, here's what I find a lot of times. There's areas in my life where I'm, I, I'm, I'm walking, and I had to repent this week. There's areas in my life God said, hey, you're looking at, you've you got double vision in this area. You need to, like, get rid of that one eye. So there's probably maybe, nobody would come out and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this and that, but there might be areas in your life where you, you, you might need to change a few things. All right, who do you serve? Verse 24, it says, let's go back. No one, everybody say that, no one. No one can serve what? Two masters. That means nobody, it means it's impossible. You can't be a slave to two different masters. It's an impossibility. So here's the thing that you got to remember is, in the New Testament, I think it's uh, Romans 6.16, 6, Paul says that whom you, um, whom you decide to or choose to obey, you become the servant or the slave of that thing. So it's not like you're forced into the slavery, but it's a choice you make. And what Jesus is saying is nobody, no one, not one person, can serve two masters at the same time. You're either going to do what? You're going to be hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and mammon. Here's what this tells me. Mammon is looking for servants. If it's an option to serve mammon, that means mammon is probably looking for some servants. And so a lot of times we don't talk about what mammon is. We know who God is, right? Everybody know who God is? Who's mammon? What's mammon? So let's just take a minute. I just want to uncover, uh, uncover this and unpack this for a minute and give you a little, little teaching on this. Mammon, so most Bibles, if you have a, a, maybe an NIV or an NLT or, or a newer translation and you read this, it'll say, you cannot serve God and money, okay? So money's not an inaccurate uh, translation, but it doesn't really uncover the true meaning here. So the word mammon or mammones, it, it means riches or wealth, but it was also a Syrian God of riches. So there was a, it, mammon is a demonic spirit. So it, it can mean riches, it can re, mean money, but it also is a demonic spirit that is in direct co contradiction with God. And so think about this. So it, Syrian, it was a Syrian God, little g, of riches. Syrian, the Syrian God was rooted in Babylon, Okay. Do you guys know where the word Babylon comes from or what it means? Anybody remember the Tower of Babel? Heard of the Tower of Babel? Where God did what? He confused the language. Okay? Babel, Tower of Babel was where men tried to ascend to God based on their effort and their works. God confused their language, spread them around the world. Babel means confuse. Right? Everybody knows somebody that probably babbles on? Ba, 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 right? So that's how you can remember that. To babble on. But babble means to confuse. Babylon means mixed in confusion. What happens when you have double vision? Confusion. See that connection? So when I submit to the spirit, see, mammon is a demonic spirit. 
If I lay this, I'm going to pull this $10 bill here. If I, this $10 bill is neither good nor bad. It's all moral, all right? It's a piece of paper. So money in itself is not bad. When I take possession of money, or if I take possession of something, the spirit that influences me is now resting on the thing that I possess. And if I'm being influenced by the Spirit of God, God's influence rests on this. If I'm being influenced by the Spirit of Mammon, that demonic spirit rests on this. And guess what the demonic spirit does not want you to sow into? Heaven. He hates people. He hates people. He doesn't... See... The devil doesn't care if you have stuff, but he hates people. He doesn't care what you have as long as you don't invest it in people. Because he knows this will be gone one day. But he knows people last forever. His fate's sealed, but yours isn't. But when you accept Jesus, it is. See, he hates people. So let me give you a couple things. Here, here's something about this. Let's go, just give you a couple things about this demonic spirit. He's in direct contradiction to God. He persuades you to trust in money instead of God. So this is his thing. He's, he wants you to trust in what you have instead of trusting in God. He wants to convince you that he can supply you everything that only God can supply you. And he wants you to trust in what you have instead of God. He eventually wants to rule your life. Demonic. Demonic spirit. So you're like, you know what? Here's I get. I, people say this. Well, I don't have any money, so I can't be influenced. That's a lie. Right? You don't need money, and you don't need a lot of money to be influ- influenced by demonic spirit. Let me give you a couple, couple ideas here. Next slide, real quick. Here's some warning signs. How do I know? Warning signs of being influenced by mammon. Fear of the future, or I probably should have put in there, fear of loss, right? What do people do? Why do people hold on to stuff? Because they're scared they're going to lose it. It's not by coincidence, as soon as Jesus says this, he goes right into, take no thought for tomorrow. Don't worry about anything. Your Father in heaven knows exactly what you need of. Worry over unmet needs. Being stingy or generous. If you're stingy with what you have, it's demonically influenced because God is a generous God. Right? God's not stingy. So if you're being stingy, you're not being influenced by God. Finding security and financial resources. If you think what you have is your security in life, it's not. Only God can be your security. Deriving significance from material possessions. He wants you to think that you're defined by what you have. You're defined by and valued by what Jesus paid for you. That's the only thing. You're a child of God. You're a child of the King, and that's what defines you. And finally, disobedience to God in regard to your finances. So any one of those things could be that, hey, am I being influenced by this? Is this thing resting on me? Am I allowing this thing to talk in my ear? I guarantee you, You've experienced this. Anybody ever, anybody ever felt God impressed on you? Hey, I want you to give something to somebody. I want you to do something for that person. What's the first thing that gets in your ear? Oh, you don't want to do that. 
How are you going to pay your bills if you do that? What are you going to have left if you do that? You're going to waste your time on them. You need to do this. That is the spirit of mammon. He talks. And I guarantee you, at some point in time, everybody's heard him. See, think about Adam in the garden. We always think that, of course, Adam disobeyed God, right? And when Adam disobeyed God, obviously, we're all paying the penalty of that. All mankind did. But how did Adam disobey God? By obeying the devil. See, your obedience to one is your disobedience to the other. You can't serve two. And so, when I'm open to the Holy Spirit, and I open-handedly say, Father, what do you want me to do? He's going to say something. And then the other one's probably going to say something. All right, let's read through. I want to read this uh, parable real quick. And uh, we'll just go through this. Because there's only, there's only four times the word mammon's used. One is what we just read. Three of them are in this passage. Now, twice in this passage, it's going to say unrighteous mammon. When it says unrighteous mammon, I believe that refers to money or material things. When it compares mammon to God, that's, a, that's the demonic, that's a spiritual component of it. So just bear in mind as we read this. So matter of fact, I'll just tell you this story. So there's, there's a guy that's a steward, and, and a guy, this guy, he's a landowner, he has a steward, and this guy's in charge of all of his stuff. And the landowner finds out that the manager has been taking a little money under the table, right? He's stealing. And he said, hey, get your stuff in order. You're fired. You're going to be fired. I want to see all the books. I want to see all the records. And so the manager says, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm guilty. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm too lazy to work, and I'm too proud to beg. I don't know what I'm going to do. And all of a sudden he says, I got it. I'm going to mooch. Anybody know a moocher? Hey, Moocher, now, hey, Moocher's in here. All right. So what this guy did, he said, went and got everybody that owned his master money. He said, hey, come over here. Come over here. How much do you owe my master? And the guy said, I owe 100 measures of oil. And he said, great. Take out your checkbook and pay me for 50, and we'll call it even. Take some money. And then he goes to the next guy and says, how much do you owe my master? And he says, I owe 100 measures of wheat. And he says, great, take out your checkbook and write me for 80%, and we'll call it even. He takes that. What he was going to do, he said, I know what I'll do. I'll discount the bills today so that when I get kicked out of my master's house, I can call Joe up and say, hey, Joe, you remember when I cut your bill? How about if I crash at your place for a few days? Right? And then about three days later, Joe gets tired of him and kicks him out. And then what's he do? And he goes over here and says, hey, Dylan, you remember when I cut your bill? Can I come hang out at your joint for a few? Oh, yeah, come on over then. So what did he do? He took what he had today, and he used it to affect his tomorrow. And it says the landowner actually praised him for being wise. And Jesus goes on to say, he says, Unfortunately, the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. And what he means is, like, people in the world get it. They're like, they have street smarts. But unfortunately, Christians don't have spiritual street smarts. We don't realize that we can take what we have today and leverage it and invest it for tomorrow. But the world gets it. But we don't get it. 
And then so Jesus goes on. Let's go down to the third slide here. Keep going. And he says, So the master commanded the unjust steward because he dealt shrewdly for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And he says, I say to you, make friends with unrighteous mammon or money. Use what you have today to make friends. And then when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. What's he saying? He says, I want you to take what I've given you today and I want you to use it to impact somebody's life and you change this currency for the currency of people so that when you die and go to heaven, they're going to be there to welcome you home. That's the currency of heaven. That's treasure in heaven. It's taking what I have today, saying what can I do with this to impact somebody's life so that their life gets changed, set free, saved, delivered. They spend eternity in heaven. And then when I go there, they're going to be there welcoming me home. That's treasure in heaven. And he goes on to say, he says, he who is faithful in that which is least is also faithful in much. He who is unjust in least is unjust in much. Therefore, if you've not been unfaithful with unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? See, there's, there's, a, there's a point, to, there, there's a principle that the way I treat what is little is the way I will steward what is much. That's a principle. But when you put these two verses together, he says, if you haven't been faithful with that, what is least, who will commit to your, or he says, if you haven't been faithful to the least, you won't be faithful as much. Therefore, if you haven't been faithful in unrighteous mammon. The, the, the conclusion he's drawing is, unrighteous mammon, worldly stuff, is actually the least of anything. We think it's the most. It's actually the least. And he says, if you can't steward the least, the thing that's in front of you, the thing that I've entrusted you with, if you can't steward the material realm, how are you going to steward the spiritual realm? How are you going to steward people? Like, I want a ministry. I want to do this. I want to do it. You know what? Practice with your money first. Because he says, if you can't steward that, how are you going to steward something more important than that? Start small and work up the big. He also goes on to say, if you can't steward that which belongs to another man, who will give to you uh, your own? And then the final verse says, no servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one, love the other, or he'll be loyal to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God or man. Perspective. So here's what I want to do today. I want to pray against this spirit. We're not, we're not praying for people to get rich. That's not the point of being a good steward. I'm praying for people to be freed from a demonic spirit that's keeping you from impacting the lives of other people. Right? If you have stuff along the way, great. If you have a little along the way, great. The point is, whatever you have, use it for the kingdom. Whatever it is. Because if you have a little, if you got middle, if you got a lot, the enemy doesn't want you to put a dime of it to help somebody. But God says, I want you to lay it up in eternity. So here's the questions. So I just want you to remember, I just want you to reflect on this 
I want you to think about it. Think about it this week. Where is my storehouse? Where am I laying things up? On earth or in heaven? How's my sight? Am I single focused? Or am I double focused? Do I have blurry vision or am I single laser focused on pursuing the kingdom? Finally, what spirit's influencing me? Who am I serving? Am I being influenced by the spirit of God? Am I being influenced by the spirit of mammon? Notice mammon is a, he's a bad dude. It doesn't specifically say this, but I, I really believe the spirit of mammon's connected to the spirit of Antichrist because when the Antichrist comes on the scene, what does he control? He controls people's ability to buy and sell. He uses fear of loss, fear of not having anything to control people to do what he wants. He's a bad dude. But here's the good news. Jesus already defeated him. He's defeated. He's defeated. Let's just bow your head. Stand up. Let's just pray. I'm praying for myself as I'm praying for you. If you're online, uh, we're praying for you too. That we want to be good stewards. We don't want to allow anything to impact or lessen what God wants to do through each one of us. Father, right now we just come to you as a body of believers. And we're saying that you have the keys of death and hell. But you've defeated every enemy. You've defeated Satan, his minions. They have no authority in our lives except the authority that we give them when we come into agreement with their lives. So Father, I stand against every lie of the enemy over everybody's resources, finances, Lord. I pray multiplication over them. Lord, I just pray that there would be no interference from the enemy. And Father, that we would be single-hearted, focused, laser-focused, Father, on pursuing You and Your kingdom, pursuing people's lives transformed in this community. And Father, that we would ask You every day, Lord, what do You want me to do with what I have? And that we would walk it out in obedience to You. Help us to be generous and not stingy, because You're a generous God. Father, I just just declare this over each person here today. We ask you to bless and favor each one. In your precious name, amen.